0: I am here with Katie Weiss of Katie and the Chorus. She has a a podcast YouTube channel. Is it a YouTube channel? I have a
1: YouTube channel. I have, I have put some things on the YouTube channel.
0: <laughs> put some things, but I primarily have binge listened to her on podcast version. Um, I on Spotify to be specific, but you know whatever you listen to your podcast on. Anyway, she is like, okay, if I had to give you the elevator pitch of what Katie is, Katie is like this um, puzzle piece put her together. I mean, she's like a massive macro, she sees the big picture of everything. And so she's a engineer and then by nature, just like a natural puzzle engineer girl. And she's done some tech stuff. And then she had like crazy spiritual waking. And now she's, she channels a group of, um, I guess she, like you just you explain it involves mountains, which I think is amazing. And it's just like, she's a fantastic, amazing down to earth person. And like, okay, so, okay. Now that I messed that up a bit, how would you explain what it is that you do? <laughs> I loved it.
1: It <laughs> spot on. That's great to hear other people interpret it. Right. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I hear myself talk often enough, uh, So no, I think that was spot on. So, so I was a tech strategist for a very long time. Um, I worked in startups and then in a social sort of tech, I worked at Twitter for a little while and then I moved into aerospace and then got very sick, had a very bumpy spiritual awakening in which I started to receive messages From a group of, I loosely classify them as loving beings, a group of loving beings that I started to call the chorus. Now, there are a bunch of different personalities in the chorus, and they have over the years stepped forward in different ways as, you know, different topics are approached, and I've begun to recognize them more often and in different ways. Um, But on the whole, what they share in common is a very loving perspective of humanity um, practically, I jokingly call them they're our greatest fans. They think everything we have created here is amazing, um right down to all the aspects of, you know, challenge and struggle and the things that humans go through. And it's kind of through their way of seeing things and their logic for how they see things that way that I think, you know, sort of causes you to to expand into more perspectives, not necessarily a right perspective, not one that invalidates how we feel about being human sometimes, but one that sort of broadens you into all the different ways that you could see how we exist here.
0: That's beautiful. Okay. So let's dig into what, okay. So I know that the Mount, like Mount, in fact, it's almost kind of like the mineral kingdom has been involved in the chorus. Like, well, could we could put it that way. Now, do you think that that is... Okay, do you think that the course at large particularly came to you by proximity of where you were? Um, you used to live in the Rocky Mountains. Like, or do, you, or do you kind of just feel like the course in some kind of way is connected to your soul individually?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I think that... So, okay. So, so broadly the chorus, we'll start with how they define themselves. The chorus defines themselves as being beyond the structures of belief. So they say that we resonated with a particular frequency or frequencies, depending on how you look at it. Those were the frequencies of disallowance, which created our experiences here of limitation, finiteness, and insufficiency. And so they say, well, we are you know, beyond the structure of beliefs, because we don't resonate in the places that you resonate. And one of the first manifestations of your resonance is something that you call a belief. It's a structure. It's an energetic structure that creates. And so they said, all of us don't hold beliefs. That's not something that we exist within. And that's challenging for most of us as humans to even relate to because it's hard for us to even envision what an existence might be like when you don't believe anything so that classification loosely puts them what they call on the sidelines of our game they they like the game analogy for what we do here and they say hey anybody who holds a belief by our view is playing the same game with you you might all hold different beliefs but you're fundamentally by the belief definition all playing in sort of the same realm.
0: Right. And we do. We do hold beliefs. Like we we believe that we're we have like we, you know, we roughly live to around 80-ish. We believe that we, you know, like uh like that that's that the sun rises and sets at a certain time. Like we we have all these like like things that are um that we've all agreed like we, we, we've agreed on how we how we define time we've agreed on how we define the calendar dates and how like we've we've agreed on a lot of things that we don't even think about they're just be, we've become mm-hmm. second nature uh but I don't really think animals have the agreement about time or you, you know I mean so it's uh I, I I I see that like we're playing like a game of limitation a lot and it's it's even it's even broader than not just like you know oh he's pretty he's not he's not like not even like that kind of game like we're talking about like boom so what i always like about like they seem like the most laid back every like they're just kind of like corona shmona Like, like, (laughs) like, like like everything's just like not it's like it's like oh it's so it's so nice that you are concerned about that it's not concerning though but it's nice that you're con- I'm, I'm happy that you're concerned but it, um so it's, it's kind of like the ultimate pothead friend in some kind of way or something you know um but at the same time what is super fascinating about the chorus is they have a they give you their perspective on our history on how the humans have come to be and that's like crazy cool so how did that start coming up
1: so in the first season and the first book so so we've done one book the second book is about to come out the first book was the book of human awakening which was an introduction to an overview of the awakening process that they you know say humanity at large is going through right now um which is expansion from a point of limitation so they emphasize that you're not like ejecting off of it and, you know, moving into higher realms is that you're keeping a foot in the game as you expand. And, and by doing so, you are able to, to expand through perspectives where you understand the validity of an existence of suffering and challenge and how you can expand by way of that. But then also you can hold other perspectives that sort of are all equally valid. It's, it's a way of expanding into the multiplicity of, of the universe, basically. So in that first introduction they lay out three engines that they call of reality. These are you could consider them to be like the driving forces the enactors of a lot of this experience of limitation and it, they are time, body and distance. So these three things are are actually pretty fluid concepts by their view. Um they are creations also by their view. We created the concept of time. The human version of linear time is what they cover in the second book and what we're talking about right now in the second season of the podcast. And they say that, you know, there are many other ways to experience and to look at time, but they really take no issue with the linear version of it. They simply contrast in the book and in the second season, different perspectives on time and how in some ways the view of time as linear really served us here because we chose this experience of limitation and linear time enacts a lot of that limitation. We're constantly running out of time is one way of looking at it. We're constantly sort of embodying the passage of time is another way of looking at it. But also they're pointing out that this concept of linear time shows up even more unconsciously in terms of like, for example, our concept of an interruption. And they're like, that's totally yours. (laughs) You guys had to create an experience of having sort of a mental projection of a plan and a passage of time in order to feel a sense of being interrupted. That's yours. So they start to point out how sort of time is infiltrated, you could say, in a lot of the ways that we experience our beliefs. And the more you start to see it, sort of the more the the barriers we might say of time sort of start to soften. You can understand how it could be looked at that way, but it, it doesn't become any longer something that is the only thing that can define how you experience something. So when they started to talk about other versions of time, that's sort of when our history started to come up. And they said, you know, you can put it on a line if you want to and and that's great that is a great way to understand time but there are other ways to connect to these different frequencies and they point out that one way that many civilizations look at time is that it's really time place meaning it's it's like a location just like anything else and so as you move between frequencies you're experiencing different things different places now, humans append that all to a singular line. And so when we start to experience something new, often a question will come up within us about when did this happen, which is our way of, of you know, sort of pulling it down into our context. Like, did that happen before or after this other thing? And sort of we, we sort of narrow our view of it into that. And again, that's not an invalid way to look at time, but there may be other qualities that we would more readily notice about those other time and places if we were more open to different ways of understanding that in our context.
0: Okay, so I've had a couple of um, slips where I've gone into what feels like timelessness and um, I when that has happened to me i have lost my individuality like i feel like i have melded back into the source energy of everything and i have no concept of time at that point but then i also lose concept of being separate or being an individual in any kind of sense um And then when I get pulled back, I'm kind of like, ooh, I like being an individual, like versus not being an individual. (laughs) So like I don't like so I kind of I like I have like a internal grappling with like when I die, do I become at all? And then like, what if I don't want to always become at all? You know, that like there's like this like in and out breath of the universe that kind of is bothering me in a bit, but do they having a different experience of time they still have an individuality though like there still are some sort of individuals in some kind of sense that are speaking through you so how do they I don't know if you guys have talked about that but how do they kind of separate the two like time and individuality and what do they think of oneness as a concept
1: Mm -hmm. great questions so um they've laughed at me about questions like this many times because (laughs) (laughs) Because right now, what many of us are grappling with is this question of identity, because as we are moving through this phase of awakening, where we're starting to question the hard and fast linearity of time, the thing that first comes up for us is then, wait, but who am I? (laughs) And they're saying the reason is because those things have been so connected for you in your experience of limitation. You basically defined yourselves by the five senses manifestations that happened over a period of time that you can remember. Yeah. So they tease me and they say, if you had no childhood, if you had no other experiences to, to append yourself to, how would you define yourself right now in this present moment? And for a human, it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, it's almost terrifying to contemplate life or existence untethered from a history that, that has built into an identity. And they're, you know, they're sort of like, these are why you're having these questions is because you are getting, you're catching on to the fact that like, hang on, if time's fluid, How the hell do I identify myself? What am I then? If I have a past lifetime over there and a past lifetime over here, and you know, and then also, like you're saying, if I merge into the one now, those experiences so the the chorus is very clear that your uniqueness is a fundamental part of creation. Every being in creation has what they call a unique frequency, a core frequency that is inviolable. It is your connection to all that is to the infinite power of the infinite. Mm -hmm. And so they say that your uniqueness is required for creation to be complete. So as we expand, right? They say, really what you're coming into is you're expanding more and more into your own uniqueness. You're discovering more and more of who you are. We expand just like the universe. So there's going to be more and fascinating parts of us as we go, which even clarifies more of the uniqueness that we are. This is hard for a lot of us to imagine because it's sort of like you run out of ideas for uniqueness. Is it like, I mean, we all, by their view, look a lot alike here. Just like we all have heads, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, wh- what does an infinite universe of infinite uniqueness even look like? So when we have those experiences where we go forward, and, and this can be common in terms of, um you know, if you take microdose psychedelics or things like that, people describe these experiences where essentially they've stepped out of our belief systems, either softly or or like a big old jump. And what they feel like they went into was like a oneness, right? And the course is like, That is a totally valid perspective, being a human who is coming from a group consensus that is super stringent, full of limitation, in which you disallowed your ability to connect to (laughs) really anything beyond your game. And so as you step into this connection, this connective power that awaits you beyond these beliefs, they're like, we can understand how it would feel like a oneness in the first forays it would be like, wow, I can't believe I can be so connected to everything else. I can feel these other things. I feel oneness with the trees, right? We're sort of just blown away by this connection. And they're like, yeah, it's an aspect of the perspective that you're coming from. It's the contrast. It doesn't necessarily negate your uniqueness, but from the conscious perspective that you're moving out of the belief systems and then moving back in, you know, you could say like, wow, there's a fuck ton of connection out there. And they're like, yeah, there is. It's amazing. And as you go forward more and more into those connective places, you will also understand or come to clarity on your uniqueness and what you contribute to that oneness even more.
0: I, I do know that, um, every, like you know, everybody has a unique sound. Like, like the energy that splits your atoms is. Let's just like how we have a unique voice. I do know, like in the way I've been able to, to basically identify whether or not, whether it's a past life, future life, like a parallel life, whatever. But the fact that I I can identify that I have a fragment of that that signature within me is like there's an energetic sound like oh yeah that that is related to me um and i and I i can hear the sounds on every everybody has like their own voice signature so i do think even and i will say even when i was in experiences which were psychedelics but weren't only in psychedelics i've had these crazy popping into things with big log deja vus like a near death experience kind of thing um where I thought I was going to die in a plane like there, there's a lot of different things that have popped me into this uh the monad like the one seeing eye sort of feeling thing and even and even within the oneness though I I was able to um distinguish other so it so I I, I like that that's that's really interesting how you you uh mm-hmm. put it that way so okay so let's let's go back down to earth for a minute and talk about um for people who okay there i think there's a lot of fear around the word channel um i think a lot of people are like i, I don't know they have they have whatever ideas let them have whatever ideas they have but let them have they've had they have some ideas about it but so how did you as a person when you were going through this explain how this like kind of happened to you and how did you justify it to yourself or allow it?
1: Um, I, I avoided it for years quite brutally till I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I get the fear around being a channel because I, I think it's, it, it would make sense that you would have some questions as to who a channel is bringing through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the chorus always says like, hey, fear is your perception of your own fence line. It's the barrier of of your most expanded belief at that moment in time. Your sense of fear is that sense of that furthest stretch. And, you know, some people are, you know, afraid of channels because maybe it's just not relevant to them at that moment in time. They might come back around to it. They, They also may not need to. So, you know, I think, I think, both the fear is logical and then, and then energetically, I think it's, it's healthy to appreciate fear. Um, so I had listened to a channel for years, um, to Esther Hicks and it was about five years in that I realized, Oh my God, she's channeling. That was right as my illness started to take a real bad turn for the worst. And over the next couple of years, we really struggled, uh, saw a lot of doctors. Um, some of those medications made things worse. Some of them did nothing at all. No one could really a understand. serious
0: it. illness, right? Like you don't really know what exactly it was, like autoimmune kind of thing
1: it was progressive. Uh, it kept getting worse and every doctor, it was, it was across systems. So in the beginning, it was a lot of like GI and hormonal systems and whatever. So, you know, you go and you see one doctor and the doctor's like, well, I only look at your gut. (laughs) You'll have to go see somebody else for hormones. So, you know, it was very hard to understand what was happening. Um, but then it, it kept getting worse until eventually I, I did collapse. Um and I had a lot of nervous system issues. I developed a stutter. Uh my parents had to care for me. I was, you know, unable to be at home with my husband and my son. And it was through this process that I was essentially forced to consider things that I hadn't considered before. I come from a science and tech background. So this was like practically brutal. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, as happens in awakening, you come to these continual crossroads where the things that used to work for you were now insufficient. You have to try something new. And when all the doctors that we had seen, you know, I was running out of doctors left to see, you sort of open to the idea of like, where else could I get answers? And that's sort of where I realized, Esther had been a channel. And I was like, isn't that interesting? Like, I wonder if that's possible for me. I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could reach a perspective that could help me understand why this is happening. And that's basically what I was seeking and still continue to seek is an understanding of it. Um, So I did open to channeling, took over a course of many months. And the first time they came through, there was, definitely a very evident sensation, Um, but also I freaked out (laughs) and, you know, shut it down almost as quickly as it began. And that relationship between seeking sort of opening to that broader perspective and balancing my own terror Mm -hmm. sort of became a dance I did over, over the next several years. And I, in the beginning, ran a lot of experiments. I didn't know who I was connecting to. You know, now, nine years later, I have a lot of evidence that, you know, the chorus shows up again and again, so freaking loving, no matter what I am going through. It's amazing. It's a miracle to me how I, you know, they can hold a perspective that somehow helps me to feel an ease with even like the harder things but in the beginning I didn't have that. So I, you know, did what I think a lot of channels do. You sort of come up with your questions. You think of the best answer you can possibly think of, and then you sort of take down their answers and you see kind of which ones, you know, blow your mind a little more and time and again, it was theirs. Then I started to test my connection. So I used to try and channel while I was driving in the car or at the grocery store or on walks just to see if this was a valid thing or, you know, was only possible in certain circumstances. Um, And they thought the whole thing was pretty entertaining. I mean, they were like, oh, we're in the car today, you know, (laughs) this is great. Um. And so, you know, now today, I have a lot of trust for that. And now today, I understand how I did sense it, that first connection. And I I do believe everyone has an innate ability to sense these things and to connect may not be relevant yet, or, you know, may so come later. With but...
0: that, is it like, um, is it a thought voice? Like, how, like, how do you experience in your physicality? Like, how does it? express itself in your brain to you
1: it depends on which member of the course sometimes it'll come through a little differently um i would say for the most part i receive the sense of an understanding i receive a full sort of download and then over time it sort of comes out in in the form of words so it's like imagine how you feel when you sit down with a friend and you ask him a question and then they spend the next five minutes explaining it to you. And then at the end of the five minutes, you feel like, oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. That is the sense that I often receive. It's like, a, it's like, feels like a wholeness, like a next level of wholeness. And then I am able to translate that into words.
0: So it's and- almost like you're, it's a telepathic download that's kind of happening in a way.
1: From the vaster members of the chorus, I would say, yes. And then I translate it into basically our frequencies. Some other members of the chorus, though, feel much more similar to human communication. It feels more specific. It feels like a particular sentence, a particular word. And I've come back to that again and again. I was like, no, they're really saying that word. You know, and now it goes faster. It's a lot easier to be like, that's the word. And it just sort of flows. Um But, and then sometimes I do receive pictures, depending on what they're talking about. Sometimes it's easier for them to just be like, like this, (laughs) instead of, you know, a particular meaningful word. So there's a lot of variety in, in the communication.
0: Now, I know with you in particular, like one of the things I wanted to get to was the trees called you out one time and you got introduced to the, 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 the tree kingdom or whatever you want to call it. Um, And. Uh, like how they are beings in and of themselves as well. And so tell me about like, like not, so the course is sort of with you always, but then there you have like, like right now I know you're also kind of having some communications with water beings because you've moved to the ocean. So, but these water beings and or like these tree beings are something that it's almost like you can communicate with, but they're not something that is with you always that you're channeling always. So how yeah. do you, yeah, distinguish that?
1: Um, so the tree kingdom, some of these beings I have been, you could say introduced to by the chorus. So the chorus is sort of like way out there off the game. And then they were sort of like, and now that you're continuing to open, you'll more easily be able to communicate with some of the more energetic members that are also on the periphery of the game or in the game, depending on how you define it, many ways to define it. So I did not know I was going to be connecting with the trees (laughs) the day I went hiking. Uh, Story we tell on the podcast. Uh, But then it made a lot of sense once we did because I could feel their energy. I knew they were sort of in the mountains on this trail or what have you. And when they came through, it definitely felt like, feels like a a very different voice. They have a different perspective on this. They have been aware of humanity for a very long time, like the mountains too. The mountains have also been aware of humanity for a very long time. In some ways, you could say that they experience time differently than we do. And so they they have not experienced a passage in the same way or a, a forgetting. They are aware uh, humanity sort of forgot these connections or moved away from these connections. And they remember the times when we still had them. Um, and so they, you could say by way of their energetic connections, hold vast memories. Or you could also say, if you use the time place, you know, understanding, they're simply still connected to the times when we. We're able still to connect with them. But they both, in my experience, at least in the forests in the Rocky Mountains, understand in some ways our choice of limitation, have learned a lot by our choice to experience this and are very excited to reconnect with humanity at broad scale. Because even though they have been able to observe us in many ways, when we are able to energetically reconnect with them, we, we convey the rest of the picture. Like when we cut off our energetic connections from some of these other kingdoms or kinds or whatever you want to say, um, they, they couldn't hear from us either. The chorus is broader. So the chorus is like, we see you from the moment you chose to, you know, incarnate in this whole thing called a belief system. So they did in some ways experience a separation, but it's very light very fine whereas those members of our reality of our game who are a little more physical that we can even see on the wavelengths of visible light Mm -hmm. did experience a little bit more of a disconnection from us so they're like you're back you know like (laughs) we still remember we still access those frequencies when you could connect to us but also we're pretty stoked to hear what you all will convey to us about your experience of limitation when you all begin to connect again
0: huh okay so then so then let's go into when we were connected because i think that that's like what i feel like it's like secret amazing knowledge um okay so okay in your podcast you talk about this and then you have talked about how you think the spanish peaks in colorado may have been And we talked about this a little bit. um, So I don't know how much you want to go into it or not. But there's been kind of an understanding that the humans that were, or maybe will be once again, um, did something We're unclear about what, because you're also from a perspective of things that didn't care about us, or not didn't care about us, but they didn't have the intricate knowledge maybe that, like if the mountains or the trees... Like if we created a nuclear bomb right now, they would be like, yeah, you guys blew something up. You do, But I don't know that they would know how we actually did it, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't know if I'm explaining that right. But anyway, you say that there was some sort of cataclysm or something that ended in an old epoch and that they are aware of that and that we have been remembering or reassembling since then or something. So how do, and tell me like how you think like the spanish peaks may be involved in this and stuff Mm
1: -hmm. okay so i'm a horrible
0: question asker and i'm sorry but (laughs) i
1: totally get it i am on the same wavelength and i'm yes okay so before we get into these eras of history it's important to note that the way the chorus understands our current physical bodies is what they call a mind body instrument. They don't see a difference between the mind and the physical body. They see these things as very intricately connected. We are a unified field of perception, according to them. Yes. So, our humanoid form, as you could say, is an expression of the current beliefs that we hold. When they talk about history, they are reaching back into very, very bilinear definition ancient, ancient, ancient history where we may not have looked like we do today. But energetically, we were very similar. There was slight variations in our beliefs, but there was a trajectory almost that continued us here. So I don't know what we looked like back then. Honestly, I have memories uh, sporadic that have come through as I've done this work with the chorus, where I remember being there, but the context feels very different. My expression feels of my physical self. Expression feels very different. So. One of the first memories prior to Lagarita Caldera that I recalled was um, an experience of great destruction, and I know that now this is you know relatively commonplace of like oh you know we we keep destroying things. Um, this idea is coming up. This destruction, however, is is way 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 far back, and depending on how you want to define the kickoff point for our limitation this event could be viewed as one of it because in that experience, we created the concept of destruction. If you compare it to the infinite place from which we came, where everything grows back, everything's constantly infinite. You can't actually lose stuff, right? This infinite, ever sustainable, ever loving place.
0: Like no interest. You
1: have an experience where something can be destroyed, meaning it can't grow back. It is lost. You may not know how to fix it. You may never get it back again. Is almost like a boom kickoff point of of finiteness. It is to be finite would be to destroy without being able to get it back again or to go anywhere you want to go anymore. So this was one of my first memories to come through. And they're sort of like, this is where it all began in some ways, depending on how you want to look at it. And by my understanding, a lot of time passed, a lot of eras, a lot of other things. And so we're fast forwarding through a lot of experiences of limitation in which we continue to develop these beliefs before we arrive at what we might call earth, depending on how you define earth or planets or these structures and essentially our experience of destruction had continued to energize our experience of this game because by way of experiencing something in manifested form here we build a belief and so we embodied the idea that we could destroy things so by the time we arrived to earth we have not only had many experiences of of destruction because we embody that we express that possibility. But also we had come across something that we would call today remorse, meaning we didn't, we didn't really mean to do it. And so there was sort of an expression in us of like, not only do we destroy, but sometimes we destroy when we didn't mean to. This, as you can understand, is an accelerated version of limitation because now there's even not just the universe that you have cut off your connections to, but now you're cutting off connections to parts of yourself, perceptions that you have, abilities that you have, that you now no longer trust because you can't anticipate when something you do with those abilities could lead to destruction. So when we arrived here, however you wanna define arriving and however you wanna define here, this was sort of after another great cataclysm. And we essentially decided that the safest way to deal with this inability to control or predict even our own destructive potential was to forget. By way of forgetting, by way of disconnecting ourselves from those other time places, as you know we would call it today, a forgetting, we wouldn't remember how to do these things. We wouldn't remember who we were. We basically enforced an amnesia upon our own selves as a way of putting us in jail. And what more effective jail than forgetting what you even are. It's a two, It's like a full and total disconnection. The remnants of that choice, I am told, are what is demonstrated in the US Southwest um, particularly around the area of La Garita Caldera. And, you know, geologists, I've looked this up. I didn't even know about it before <laughs> I had all these experiences. And we talk about all of this more in season two of the podcast, in case someone who's listening is interested in this. Um, but essentially the the remnants of what's there at La Garita Caldera is as far as we can tell the largest volcanic eruption that that has ever taken place on planet earth but by way of the physical evidence that's remained so i don't know what kind of cataclysm was sort of the reflection of a choice to forget or how that all transpired but essentially what happened there has then led to you know sort of where we are today where we are starting to realize that there is a lot that we don't remember
0: yeah and i think a lot of us are trying to remember ourselves like we're like like first there's that's really interesting to see about the like that's what i think the awakening is more than anything like if you whatever you want to call awakening it but um i i just noticed like i don't think my grandparents gave you know two flips about any I mean, any talk, they would be like uh-huh all right well can me that channel changer you go down outside like there, <laughs> there there's no there would have been I don't they, like they would have been no way they would have even remotely cared about like I do feel like as we're progressing maybe in every generation or maybe it's this era, maybe it's this time frame I don't know like people are starting to go like like starting to try to find puzzle pieces which is gotcha. something that wasn't even in the consciousness for a long time. right So okay. yeah, okay. So let's talk about the the crystalline structure things cuz I think that's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> Me too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um okay, so tell 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 us like vaguely about what you remember about that kind of situation. Sure.
1: Um, so I, I, less of this is in my memory and more of this is coming through present day understanding and work that I've been doing with the course. Um, I wish I could remember more about this era and, and how we did this. And so maybe that's coming because they say desire is directional. It's the, uh, simply the direction in which you're heading. Um, but okay, so so continuing with the line of history, if we'd like to put it on a line and presently we'd love to put too. things online. Yep. So <laughs> we're going to roll with that. We're going to accept that part of ourselves. Um, okay, so they said that, you know, and this is a big part of book two. So if you're interested in these topics, the chorus, you know, the books are predominantly channeled and this is, you know, their description of things in book two is what I am taking right now and sharing.
0: Uh, but one real quick on, on that note you are a cumulative thing like it is best to start from the beginning and then go forward it, it really helps you un- like you're like a giant giant novel that unfolds as it as it as it goes forward you know whereas mine is everything I put out is just kind of like you can pick and choose blah blah, blah 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 yours is like it's not a choose your own adventure you start from the beginning it's really good <laughs> thanks
1: Yes, and I do think it helps because in the second book in particular, they are assuming a knowledge of the concepts that they laid out in the first podcast season and in the first book. So the second book, there's like a transition first two or three chapters as they continue like a sort of like smoothing over of like, these are the definitions, right? you got this. And then they pick up the pace and book two is like way more flowing, a lot more happening. So it does help to go in order just to sort of start to understand the way the course looks at things. So then by the time you get to the description that I'm about to give you, uh, more of it can resonate in a way that's like, oh, I see how that connects, you know, 12 different pieces that they've been laying out. So suffice it to say, that's okay. We can jump forward. And then I think if it speaks to you, then, you know, maybe go check out their other material. Um. But, okay, so first, starting with the definition of Earth. So it's very interesting right now that there is some debate about what we even feel like our home planet, if you like that word, is. And they start describing their history. It's sort of like Earth was at one point an idea. It was a concept. It was a belief. Um, so of other frequencies of more etheric frequencies, if you like that word. And then at some point, the mountains, were grown so by their view and and by the mountains agreement they are a consciousness but also there was a partnership at play between us and the consciousnesses of the mountains to sort of create these structures by their own description there's much more to the mountains than rocks <laughs> uh, they, they're a very vast consciousness there's a lot going on there but the aspect of it that we have been able to see is like piles of rock really big piles of rock and that's you know about it but now as i'm sure you know you've know many who are feeling there's sort of like a magic in the mountains majesty in the mountains people want to have retreats there like we're starting to catch on that there's like a lot more going on in those environments and that's true when we partnered with the mountains to create these structures it was essentially harnessing an energy That existed in the earth plane in the earth as a planet again whatever word you want to use is fine there are many perspectives on these things in the universe so the structures of the mountains sort of harness the energy upward to the apex to the pinnacles of those things and we existed essentially up there Uh, we were less constrained by physical needs then that we are today we didn't feel heat and cold or need food in the same way then Um, The energy that was sort of channeled upwards at those apexes were pretty much enough to sustain us. And we really, really dug what it was up there. (laughs) So over many eras, over many, many epics, many stories that, you know, eventually will come out as we all remember these things. Ultimately, we were sort of drawn down the mountain, sort of by interest or however you want to say it as some of that unfolded there was another cataclysm in which the mountains were flattened they were destroyed and the energetic bridges that they represented were therefore also destroyed unable to reach those sort of vaulted elevations any longer we tried to recreate them now sort of more on the earth plane However, as was happening in our continued descent into limitation, again, if you like a linear aspect, we were descending into limitation. um, We could not connect to the consciousness of the mountains any longer. And we had been so busy with our dramas that we didn't quite recognize that until it was too late.
0: So, AKA the pyramids kind of thing, Like, like that's like a recreation attempt.
1: So, yes, by the chorus's own view and by some things that I have been exposed to, I guess you could say pyramids are essentially a more primitive version of mountains. Mm -hmm. So when we created those structures, we couldn't actually grow mountains any longer. We couldn't communicate with that consciousness in that way, but we still had an ability to work with stone to sort of sing to it in a way. So it's like, it's like repeating recipes without even knowing how to grow food or where it comes from. It was it was a partial knowledge, but we used it to the best that we could to build sort of these earthly temples and recreate the harnessing of this energy from, from the earth itself. So pyramid-like structures are replicas of basically the organic structures of the mountains.
0: So what about, um, so it very much is like a Mount Olympus kind of thing to me, you know, like we, we were the gods living up in the mountains and then, you know um so do you are there still well i i also i remember you talking about how like there may have been like like almost like crystalline structure almost like the idea of cities in the clouds kind of thing like we may have like lived in crystalline structures above the cloud um do you think that there is a dimension and or a subsection of our consciousnesses that still exist there? So that's a great question. So to explain the crystalline structures,
1: so essentially the earth bound temples that tried to replicate the structure of the mountains weren't enough to step up our energy, step up our frequencies. So it became sort of a build a pyramid. And then there were crystalline structures that sort of were above that. My understanding is that many of them were sort of appended to the energy of the earth, which moves. They were organic in that sort of nature. So, if you want to call them ships flying around, that works. If you want to call them structures, that works, you know, basically these were massive things that floated above these structures and sort of moved around. Um, my understanding is that, depending on how you want to look at it, it you could say that a part of our consciousness is still there. You could also fairly say that like our consciousness came down here. And as we return to those frequencies or being able to perceive them, that then we are expanding or re-expanding to those places. And you know, some people call this dimensions, I guess it depends on your definition of dimension. According to the chorus, the physical dimension for them is defined by all belief holders. <laughs> you are still physical if you hold a belief, any belief. And that could be a god-like entity that lives for 80,000 years, but if he has a belief in dying and he dies at 80,000 years of old, well he's he's got a belief, so he's technically in our game. Right. So you could say that those other frequencies are simply other frequencies within the game. They of a very different quality or a very different expression than what we are here, or you could call it another dimension. Um, but you know there is an overlap of sorts by way of our physical perspective. If you went up to the top of a mountain, is it valid that you could just see a top of a mountain? Totally, because that is resonance with our frequencies here. If you went to the top of a mountain and you saw gates to a totally different world, is that a valid perspective? Yeah, sure is. Because there's a lot that still exists on these other frequencies that by our agreement to participate here, we agreed not to perceive until now.
0: Yeah, we agreed not to perceive. Okay, that's interesting. Huh. Okay. And so why is it? coming back
1: i mean loosely awakening i mean it's um it was always our choice to pass through these experiences i mean by the chorus's view like we were always assured to awaken like expansion is an inherent aspect of creation so they're like when you chose to be limited you always knew it would last the exact amount of time that it needed to that you would benefit from it in like all the ways that would be so perfect for everything you would ever hope to achieve and then some. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of like, and here you are, like you're coming back to us. You can already hear us. You're asking these questions. You're seeing these things. You're taking a second look at pyramids. (laughs) You're, you know, wondering about history. Like to them, it's like the party is already underway. Now, from our perspective, we're, I mean, I have days where I'm like, I don't fucking know anything get <laughs> so yeah. like, these walls where you're like, you're starting to get it. And then all of a sudden you're just, just like, I know nothing. Right. So we're still coming out of our human experience of these things, but then we're snapping back more and more. We're oscillating more and more to these broader places where we do have a moment of like, Holy shit! I never thought of it that way. Or I remember that. Or you know, these are all examples of our awakening.
0: Uh, even the fact that you and I are having this conversation, this conversation couldn't have happened 20 years ago. I didn't know anybody having this conversation 20 years ago. Like, or like when I was when I was in college. Like, if I I I don't know if it's just we, like we now have the means with the internet to find each other's, or if it's it, it's just socially more acceptable to like. Be your individual self whereas it used to not be like you know it's not 100 percent yet but it's becoming more so um so there's something in that as well yes yeah absolutely i the idea of protection like you did it at epi- the, the first episode episode 20 okay let me see it's so funny your description of the course on protection and the the, the that it basically um, I used to say this thing all the time, like love, light, protection, and healing. But it's kind of like protection is a way to, in some ways, not expand. It's a way to keep yourself isolated. And I thought that that was such an, such a just wow the way that they they um, kind of went into that. So do, how how often do you you go back to that concept?
1: It's a great question. So, um, so for those who are not familiar, I'll briefly describe their view of protection. So there are a variety of flavors of finiteness in this game, but essentially if, if somebody is experiencing finiteness in any way, they're in the game. So you could have finiteness, but feel like you're always, you know, perfectly in control but you could also have an experience of not in control, which is which is what we love to do all day, every day. <laughs> uh, then you could also have further limiting beliefs on top of that, which is what humanity has done, which might include prevention and protection. So the reason why they consider these to be limiting is because by way of our belief in the need to prevent things from happening and to protect ourselves from things, what we are essentially reinforcing is the, the idea that we are finite and insufficient. If we were all godlike and if we were incredibly powerful and if we trusted ourselves in any situation, it would probably never occur to us to prevent something, right? We would just show up and smash it with a hammer. <laughs> so when humans are constantly energizing, put on your seatbelt what we are energizing is the idea that we're frail and that if a car accident happens, we could be damaged, right? We're energizing the entire construct in our version of the game and we do it for each other all the time. And the reason why I say for each other is because this is a group consensus so we participate in here as a group. So when I have an experience of loss of control and something terrible that happened to me, and you hear about it almost subconsciously, you will activate beliefs of like, oh, I got to prevent protect myself from that. I got to prevent that from happening. Have you ever heard someone tell you like a really awful story? And then you go home and you like do something like even subconsciously related to that. Like they got a spider bite, like, and then you try to go home and you look around for spiders or whatever it is. That is no one's fault. And it's also completely our fault (laughs) because we chose a group consensus. So the protection idea to them is again, nothing to fight against with all of these beliefs. The way you navigate them in awakening is simply by seeing them. The light of consciousness you know we always talk about that by bringing these beliefs to consciousness what we are given then is a new choice we're not unconsciously driven by them in the same way anymore and you can almost see it happen with some people where they come into contact with an idea and then they almost get like there's like a prevention or a protection watch inside of them now do they consciously in that moment have a perspective of like oh Oh, shit, look at this. I'm a human and I'm feeling like I need to protect myself. No, they're still unconscious in the experience of the belief itself, which is where we all have been and where we are all coming from. So by the chorus's view, the fact that we can even read a book that has in there a different idea about these things called prevention and protection is already like reason for celebration because they're like, you see it now and you will feel it more consciously in different ways. As you go into a situation, you will be more aware if something comes up. Now, does that mean I don't protect myself anymore? Fuck no, like (laughs) I'm still in the game. I still put on sunscreen. I still buckle my seatbelt, right? I have a respect and an understanding for what we created here. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I choose not to energize that. Sometimes I still participate. It is an oscillation currently in this phase of awakening where we're going to be both for a period of time and that's okay
0: yeah i mean for me like when i heard that like the, the i i just kept on it like i really think it reinforced my like like you the less fear we have it's just like it's just so much more expansive fear fear is a contracting emotion and like it's it's i think it's valid it it it, it happens it's going to happen it's still going to happen uh whether you want to try to get out of it or not it's still going to happen but i i think trying to protect yourself from fear and for things like is it's um you're lingering on something that's going to happen uh you can ex- i think you can grow through things more you can expedite the process of what it is we're doing here If you just kind of embrace the fact that um, things are going to happen and that's how we grow, which is, yeah, which is, so yeah, I really just love the courses, like the thing, thing about protection and then, um, okay. Okay, one second. Let me read the light notes. I say, okay, your take on depression really hit me. I hadn't dealt with it to that level, but I do see the inner working of how that manifests. And it just expanded my understanding of this emotion so much more for that. And I will always be forever grateful for you yeah. on that. Like the way you 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 had a a depression episode that came through and the way you walked us through it, um, I think is super healthy for anybody may be going through that or w- that will go through that or um, it, you you just have such a, a human, but also a macro step and look at that. So I guess, do you have any advice for depression people? Or I mean, not not depression people, but somebody who's going through a hell <laughs> of depression. you <laughs> are depression people. No, I, I am a card carrying depression person. Like have yep. been there,
1: understand it. Experience it still. And I'll explain, you know, why I think I experience it still. So, in the first season of the podcast and the first book, the chorus spends a lot of time on different emotions that a lot of us are feeling now and their perspective on energetically how those come to be. Depression, by their view, is what they call an energetic eddy. So, some aspect of you that is expanding, that is awakening, senses, this sort of more expansive new energy kind of place and then the five senses part of you part of us is like that ain't here yet i don't know what to do about any of this and i can't i can't put together enough physical manifestations to to make this make sense and it's sort of like a sinking feeling like an overwhelmed feeling where there is a sense of loss of direction like what what do i even Even do. And you're not sure which one to give up. You don't, you don't want to give up sort of that hope for the future, even just a feeling sense, right? This may not be a conscious like, oh, it's this thing I'm hoping for. It's a very awakening process, expansion in your energetic perception that is happening. And then there's this other part of you that's making really valid points. Like it's not here. (laughs) You don't see it. It's not on the five senses yet. And that weight that Eddie feels to us is what we call depression. So in the season one episode on depression, I, you know, give a story of my experience of it. And it was when I really finally to start, started to come to an understanding of it because I was finally acknowledging that the things I was perceiving energetically were real, real in a way that I couldn't yet validate on the five senses. These are things that we're feeling and they are different than the five senses and sometimes they don't connect yet and getting to a piece about sort of holding open the door for for each one softens the sensations of depression because it it sort of relaxes us out of the energetic eddy where both can be true it's true it's not here yet it's true that you're sensing something Big or real, or a hope maybe that you can even identify. You know, oftentimes human experiences throw us into depression by way of this. So perhaps we have a loss. Uh, Perhaps we lose a loved one to death. And yet there's some part of us that wants to still know that they're still out there or they're still connected. You can still connect to them or they're okay. Right. And then there's no five senses support for that yet. They're both true. And the more we expand, the more those things that you desire, which are directional, that's the direction you're heading, will start to come through. But in these interim periods, the, the trick or the challenge is to remain open to the validity of, of of both things and not try to pick sort of a winning side. I have found that as I've gone forward in awakening Um, I still hit these moments of depression where I feel the energetic eddies. I'm really accelerating through things and I'm feeling new things and getting more communications from beings. And then my five senses is like, how is this all going to work out? We don't see it. Like there's no money for that. You don't have time for that, right? And I start to feel that sense of like, just pulls you down. And I have found that I don't fight it in the way that i used to i'd sort of like oh okay here it is like we're going to pass through this but now feel, i let
0: it be you feel like you you've developed the tools to move through it quicker
1: to ex- to allow for it smoother maybe is a way to say it and yes that results in moving through it more quickly but I'm less afraid of it than I used to be. I fight it less than I used to. I move through it faster than I ever did. And I also understand what it's telling me. I, I acknowledge that it's a representation of the fact that like we are all expanding and we're finding these things that we wish for or feel is missing or, you know, these sensations that are sometimes difficult to describe. And then also we're coming from a reality that was true. We built it. You know, we had to do stuff and figure shit out and work hard and make it happen. So I think the more you go into and out of depressive episodes, the more you recognize its purpose. And the course says that too. It's like, really, all of these things in awakening ultimately are serving you. They're awakening us to the beliefs we held that told us. Those things weren't possible or how could you or whatever. And sometimes when we are in a depressive episode where we feel very numb and very lost, there are actually many energetic things happening. This is a a very new concept for humans, but depression is actually very productive. From an energetic awakening type of perspective, there is a lot that we get done while we are depressed.
0: I love that. And I think that that's going to be very helpful for people. And you should teach a class on depression. Just saying. Now that's a way to monetize through that. Um, But Thanks. anyway, <laughs> uh, I I was, uh, I can't let you go before we talk a little bit about nubs and hallmarks. Cause that is like, so, okay. Katie and I with Andrew Fink have been um, working on this, I guess should we just like we've been working on categorizing how do we start this database database it's a database but like so what we've been doing is looking at all the anomaly figures compiling all the anomalous stuff of megalithic sites right or these old like sites that don't really quite make sense things that have these nubs which if you watch my channel then you probably know what a nub is because i've had about like 30 episodes on them but anyway they're protrusions that come from random old ruined stones right that you're like what what is that and everybody has their own theories and none of them match up to everything uh yeah. or like the giant stones or whatever so there's there's i don't know how many we are categorizing right now like probably like 15 or so but um that yeah there's nubs there's rolls, there's mortalists there's, there's all this stuff so how did you how did that grab you how did how did the um the, I guess we'll just call them the hallmarks, the hallmarks of the ancient past. That's like not really a hundred percent explainable. How did you come to it? And what do you think about it?
1: So, um, I, I think it's freaking awesome. I think most people will resonate with this. So I, the nubs crossed my radar, maybe some megalithic hallmark crosses your radar. And you sort of have this feeling of like, yeah, what is that? And then you sort of like get into these circles and there's all this discussion happening and people finding things and whatever. And what I found next was like, I liked listening to your channel. I liked listening to you explore these things. Like I liked the the video, the interview that you did with Andrew and then with others. And so there's sort of like a sense of like, yeah. Like, what is this? And I know other people have felt it too, right? You read a Graham Hancock book or you read something and it, and it draws you into a feeling like, I want to be on the team. I want to help figure this out too. And I think and hope that that sensation is spreading because it, it would be a reflection of the fact that we're starting to remember these things. We're going to start to piece them back together. And, and as the course said, and I wholeheartedly agree, we each have pieces of this puzzle. We're going to need everybody. We're going to need everybody to put this back together. So I think that the hallmarks, I think currently we have like 21 in the database um, are a fantastic start to what we are beginning to see on visual wavelengths. I think also what we'll start to come into is things that people are going to feel. They're going to sense things that they just know about certain sites. And if they can just continue to follow what it is that they sense. I think more of those mysteries will be unlocked, maybe in ways that nobody else can understand except for that person. But ultimately, if we all keep moving forward on our paths, then I think the discoveries that we'll start to share with each other will really start to accelerate.
0: I I I couldn't agree more with that, and I, I feel like um the more eyes on this project, the more like I mean, so so there's not that many people who are looking at it relatively. <laughs> and, and I even find within my own self, like if the more sites I look at, the more I start seeing different correlations that I didn't see before. And then I'll be like, wait, have we noticed this? Like, what is this thing? Yeah. What is this cool? Like, what are we calling this? Let's call this something. Like Germany like, last night. I was like, there it is. Like, why is everything then, on melty stone? Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> what is this melty stone stuff? Like why, yes. like, and what, like naming the stuff, like trying to figure out like, okay, is this Part of the destruction of this thing, or is this part of the creation of this thing? Like trying right, to right. figure, and and that's a whole. But then that goes into timeline stuff too, right? Because we are told by mainstream academia that this begot this, begot this, begot this, begot this and this was from this culture and this culture and this culture. And you're like, uh huh. But how come they're all using It's like, this is how I uh, describe it to some of my muggle friends. <laughs> I'll say, like right now there's probably different building styles in japan than there is in texas than there is in whatever germany or south africa okay maybe whatever but we all use screws we all use steel we all use like plywood and wood and sheetrock in our buildings that's just kind of like part of our globalized world right now we use some of the same materials well that's cool but like if you have you were saying peru was like from a thousand years ago and then like the pyramid stuff's like five six thousand years ago okay well how come they both have these ugly asymmetrical protrusions randomly sticking from their stones you know how come they're using the same building techniques how come they're using some of the same materials like riddle me that in your little timeline of that begat that begat begat that yeah um which all can't verifiably even be dated correctly because it's stone and stone can't be dated so Mm -hmm. I just feel like I when I explain it to people like that they're like oh and then they don't want to know they're like (laughs) been
1: there I mean it was on the other side of my fence line at one point too where I was like "Mm, I just you know you sort of just shrug away from that topic even if you have a reason I, I mean that's okay I've been there, but doesn't it make sense that the line felt like it explained everything to us all for a period of time. And then now there are people stepping off the line that are like, we found this, and then we found this, and then we found this, and that are saying the line's not working the way it used to. Now, eventually, as we expand through all this, and we discover all these things and maybe put some back together. Would we be able to reach a perspective where we could then also explain it by way of the valid perspective of a line? Totally. But in the in between phase, I think it will be helpful for many of us to maybe give up the line for a little bit. Just move forward with what you feel inspired about, about a certain site or where to look next or what to pin together. And maybe, you know, like, the moving off the line is where the muggles as you say you know might start as like you're pointing out like the line's not working and then they're like that brings up a whole other barrel of monkeys like i am not ready to to question the linear time aspects okay it gets them off of it but then once you're off of it you
0: become way more open to
1: things you're like yeah Maybe these are all simultaneously existent. Maybe we're seeing evidence of other places we're going to start to reach. Maybe it didn't all have to be one after the other. Maybe it's still all happening right now. I mean, there are so many ways to look at it. And when you, like you said earlier in the episode, like when you start to feel a broader identity of yourself that expands beyond a linear definition of time. When you're like, I'm still me and I'm still crushing it. And now I'm looking at nubs. And now I'm looking at other stuff and what have you. It feels a lot more fun and freeing to expand into sort of an exploration that doesn't necessarily need a line. We don't invalidate it. Like we get it. We lived in the line perspective too. And now we're starting to build together other ways of understanding it.
0: I also have had like, uh, an internal struggle with like, like I, and I feel like I've moved past it for the most part, but like, I used to want to like, have to be like, yeah, th- but the line sucks. Y'all the line sucks. And then like getting called crazy all the time. Like I got back from Egypt three years ago and I was telling my older brother about, you know, like, like uh, how much of a mystery it is, like really like how we don't know. And he was just like, are you talking about? I just watched a PBS special about how they made the pyramids. It's like slaves like and like some boats. Cut and dry. Like yeah, like you, you're you're talking nonsense. You're this is craziness. You're talking craziness. And it was just like it was just like cut you down. That's it. Nothing. uh Don't talk to me about this craziness anymore. Like I don't know what you're on about with all that blah blah. But no, that's no like a hardcore. It was like a wall. He just put like a big wall there. Like I hey, I'm not getting involved in your whatever this crazy is, and. Uh i was so kind of um like i now i just kind of love him for it i'm just like whatever like that's fine. and maybe one day he'll it probably won't come through me but maybe it'll come through some maybe one day he'll kind of be like oh that is kind of whoa that is kind of weird that doesn't make sense maybe he won't and i and both both ways are fine maybe he dies being like yeah yeah no everything is as i think it is and that is it You know and if that's what happens if some people don't ever expand their um understanding of what we're going if some people don't ever broaden their horizons that's actually okay as well and that's like part of the game too so i'm it's been kind of a challenge for me to to try to be okay with them not being okay with me and with that just being how like that's that's cool that's how we go
1: yeah i totally resonate with that i've had a similar path. And I think, you know, first, we think we have to invalidate the old thing in order to accept the new thing, because that's what we did for a long time in the experience of limitation. Like there was only room for one, a lot of being on the line has to do with one, one at a time, one way to see things, you know, singularity of an experience is what they say we're in here. Mm -hmm. So you know, you had to sort of like jettison the old in order to make room for the new. And really what that ed- energized was the experience of needing to invalidate again and yeah. again and again, which, again, collapses, collapses. We can't see multiple perspectives. We can't see multiple ways of experiencing it because we have to just invalidate and validate and validate. And so we only have one. And I think as we go forward, a lot of us are feeling a lightness of like, whatever, that can exist too, because we are expanding into different definitions of it, different explanations of it. In fact, multiple perspectives on the same thing can all be equally valid at the same time. And you'll often come to a clearer understanding of the thing you're all looking at by way of all sharing, you know, the different perspectives to the point where logically we get that. And we're now as a species moving into a place where we're going to start to feel it too. Because mm. sometimes I think we all are like, yeah, I get that. And then like 10 minutes later on Twitter, <laughs> oh, we're yeah. like, that's fucking bullshit, right? Okay, so we're getting it here. And eventually it's going to seep down into how we embody this in the world and, and how we communicate and live it with each other.
0: I love that. All right, so to, to wrap this up, like let's let's talk about how people can find you and you know what you plan on doing with the course in the future here.
1: Thanks, Nikki. Um so our website is com. Our podcast is Our Next Existence. We're on all major platforms. Season 2 is just about to wrap up. Um, the book is also listed on the website, but it's The Book of Human Awakening. And it's available on Amazon, other providers, and then hopefully book two will be out here in the next couple months, and then beyond that, guess it's as good as mine. It's always a new day <laughs> we're over here with the chorus. So, but you can reach out to us through the site, and we're always happy to chat
0: that's wonderful okay and was there is there anything else that I didn't really I mean there is I have more notes there's more we will have another podcast together because this is I just I love you so much you're so like um you're just so fresh and you're so able to like you're just such a macro thinker and I love that like I love macro thinkers um so tell me is there anything else that maybe we didn't hit on that you that you kind of maybe wanted to this time
1: um well it's a pleasure to be with another macro thinker I enjoy all of your interviews so much um and as far as anything now I don't think there's missing anything today but you know I would love to be back maybe you know if your viewers are interested in meeting the chorus we could do that maybe oh, in the yeah. next session um but no I think this was terrific I appreciate you having me on thank you
0: Okay. That sounds awesome. I never even thought about bringing the, uh, cause like I didn't realize you can kind of channel quickly. You don't have, it's not like a, like, give me an hour. I'll have to meditate for an hour and then I could talk. I, you know, so no. that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. We'll have to like go into the nuances of, of that for people at some point, like how, how they can awaken their inner channel kind of thing and stuff, but okay. So yes, I'll put all the, all all the information. So Katie, this has been wonderful. I will see you again really soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Bye.